know that I'm more comfortable behind the pen, and it's almost always a purple one, I brought one, than behind the podium. So because I'm extremely nervous, may we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, may the words that are written on the notes in front of me and the meditations of our hearts collectively here in this room be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A dear friend of mine teaches Old Testament at Guido Bible College in Metter, Georgia. And she says that she begins class with a blank timeline. And by the end of the semester, the students have filled in every story in the Old Testament in its appropriate place on that one horizontal line. And she does the same the next semester when she teaches New Testament on that same horizontal line, just extended a little longer. Sometimes, oops, sometimes the words that tell the story of a particular person or event are rather extensive, taking up a lot of space in the Bible. And sometimes it's just a little short blurb that results in a little blip on that timeline. Nevertheless, No matter how big the story seems or how small the story seems, it's all part of God's interwoven masterpiece. One of my very favorite verses of the Bible says, For we are all God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. And that's the NLT version of Ephesians 2.10, but I also love the wording of NIV that says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is the author of the history and has been since the beginning of time. And he's writing the overall story of mankind, obviously, from beginning to end. But simultaneously, he's also working on our own individual stories. And the story of our lives, all interwoven, all fit into God's plan, God's timeline. When I was little, my two grandmothers taught me how to crochet, and my mother continued me on that crafty journey. The first thing I learned was the basic chain stitch. And since that's all I knew when I was little, I'd make these really long chains that I didn't know what to do with when I finished, but they were kind of fun to make then. To my knowledge, there's nothing you can crochet without first starting with the chain stitch. But after that, no matter which direction you go, it's all attached to that one chain stitch. It's all connected somehow. Even if the project is made in separate pieces and then sewn together for the completion of the project, all of those projects begin originally with that chain stitch. That long chain stitch reminds me of the horizontal timeline that Sid tests her students on at the end of the semester. All the stories are connected to that single strand of yarn somehow, and I like to think of that single strand as Jesus Christ. So this long chain here in front of us is a reminder of creation from uh, Genesis in the beginning over here to now. And I left the yarn because, of course, um, God's not finished with our stories yet. So the timeline will keep going. When God weaves each of us in his handiwork somewhere along the timeline, when he writes our story, he has a beautiful bestseller in mind. 
We can choose to be part of his plans, but he doesn't force us. He, he doesn't need us. He can do anything he wants without us. He can accomplish anything, but he delights in including us. And if we allow him, when he writes our story, it can be a beautiful masterpiece. When I try to write my story without God's help, it often doesn't seem to coincide with God's penmanship of my story. I'm reminded of that verse, Proverbs 19, 21, that says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. But always, even if I don't see it at the time, God's version of my life story is way, way better than I could have ever dreamed. Time and time again, I'm made aware of the verse uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians 3.20, that says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. When I wrote the setting for the novel of my life, that setting was right here in Statesboro, Georgia. I was born here, and those of you out there who share that in common with me, you know what a big deal it is when our obituary says native on it. So um, I'd planned on my zip code always reflecting Statesboro. But I met this cute little boy in 11th grade at Statesboro High, and we dated some in high school and all through college. Well, when he was majoring in biology in college, I thought, well, that's okay. He can get a job in Bullock County. He can find something. But then when he decided to get his master's in entomology, and of course that's the study of insects, and he studied ticks for two years. Who knows why, but that's what he did. Um, you know, I started telling him, you know, there's, you really don't have a place for an entomologist here in Statesboro. Um, so when David Lavender signed the dotted line to join the Navy, let's just say I thought my life was all washed up. Um, and a few temper tantrums later, I decided I was up for the adventure. And I'll tell you one thing, I just thought he was cute in high school, but boy, did he look good in uniform as a handsome naval officer. I'd always dreamed of traveling and seeing the world, so I don't even know why I resisted in the first place, except this was home and both of our families were here, and you know, maybe I was just afraid of the unfamiliar. But God's world is big and beautiful, and over the 20 years in the Navy, he just blessed us so much. Um, I watched military helicopters practice water rescues on the St. John's River, like right in my front yard. Uh, I dropped from a rope swing into the Atlantic waters surrounding Barbados Island. Uh, I saw the Andes Mountain, and I straddled the equator at Quito, Ecuador, so that I would always be able to say I was in two hemispheres at the same time. Um, I wandered through the Holy Land and ate a gyro and rode a camel and saw these huge olive trees that I'm sure shaded my Savior at one time. Hiked into the El Yunque Rainforest in Puerto Rico at eight months pregnant. Um, witnessed the beauty of Niagara Falls. I stuck my toes in the cold Pacific Ocean. Admired the giant sequoias and humongous redwoods. Felt the heat of Death Valley also at eight months pregnant. I realized after I wrote this, that was just with the The first one was the first child, and the next one was the last child. And played in the snow on the top of San Jacinto Mountain, called a tarantula, um, and watched tumbleweeds. I heard Bob Barker say, come on down, but it wasn't my name he called. Um, I got lost on Ventura Boulevard, uh, separated from David for quite uh, a long time with um, three kids, and pregnant again. Oh, there's a theme. Um, And we had no phone. That was long before phones. We were lost from each other for two hours. But anyway... We're all here. Uh, traveled to Tijuana, watched turtles in Bermuda, 
flew over a Seattle in a seaplane, felt an earthquake under my feet, schlepped the Rio Grande, took a ride in a sleigh, rode in a sled dog ride, took a ferry to Victoria, and took in the aroma of miles and miles of lavender at a farm in Snoqualmie. It was indeed a wonderful adventure that exceedingly and abundantly was more than I could have ever dreamed. And to think I actually resisted God's plan in that to begin with. I've often wondered if Abram, later called Abraham, stamped his feet like I did when God told him to move. I was so wrapped up in what I wanted, my plans, that I didn't hear God's plan. Abram descended from a family of polytheistic worshipers. Uh, They worshipped multiple gods. So Abraham had some other priorities going on there. But when God wrote Abraham's story, and when he writes our story, he has one priority for us, and that's to worship and serve him as our one and only God. God used Abraham despite his other distractions and priorities. And we don't know how God used Abraham uh, prior to that time. It may have been just to take care of his extended family. But Abraham was already over 70 years old by the time God called him. We may sometimes feel like perhaps our big scene in God's plan hasn't happened yet, or maybe it has already happened and we didn't recognize it as a crucial part of the timeline. But, you know, in Abraham's case, his calling from God didn't come until long past the time he was drawing Social Security. So we've got to keep our eyes open to the scenes God just keeps on writing for us as part of his plan. We'd certainly not want to miss a scene like Abraham's because we weren't paying attention or were too distracted by worldly things. Abraham had lived in the same place, a familiar place, for a very long time. But when God called him, he set out on a journey and an adventure that would change the course of history for every believer from that moment on. When God calls us on our journey, when he writes our story, it could very well be a scene that would change the course of history forever. We might feel past our best physically or emotionally or spiritually, but it's never too late to be used by God. Nearly one-fourth of the book of Genesis contains Abraham's story, and then additionally there's about 40 Old Testament verses that reference him and about almost 75 New Testament verses that reference something about Abraham and the obedience that followed his faith. Much of these verses relate to um, Abraham's obedience when God asked him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now, I have a theory about Abraham rising very early in the morning, as the Bible says. You know, I've heard pastors um, relate that to Abraham's immediate obedience when God called him, but personally, I think he had to get up before Sarah got up because I can just hear her now saying, you're going to do what with Isaac? And, you know, if if that was a particularly menopausal morning for Sarah, then Abraham just thought he'd seen hot flashes before. Yeah, I really think Abraham just wanted to get out of Dodge before he had to face Sarah. When God writes our story, though, it's our job to do what God tells us to do, believing that he is leading us every step of the way in our journey. And that brings to mind another person in the Bible whose setting changed drastically. And this particular person, for whatever reason, isn't even named in the Bible. 
We read extensively about Noah and the flood, but no one knows Noah's wife's name. The Bible doesn't give us the name of Noah's wife nor Noah's son's wives. Yet there is no way that event could have taken place without the help of the women on that journey. I mean, after all, who was feeding all those mouths and washing all those dirty dishes on that smelly boat? I don't know. Um, an unnamed woman believed God's words to her husband, supporting and encouraging Noah while he built this huge boat in his front yard, all the while ignoring the gossip of the neighbors when they talked about the crazy man down the street. She must have had incredible patience and vision, and she helped save every species that God created before he put Adam and Eve on the earth. Look at the difference one person can make. When God writes our story, every one of us has a unique purpose and an important role to play. Without even a name recorded in the Bible, Noah's wife changed the course of history. Abraham and Noah's wives are just two examples of people in the Bible whom God changed the setting of their story and turned it into a masterpiece. God used both of them despite their preoccupation with other distractions in the world. God can do the same when he writes our story. But those two are pretty huge characters in God's word. What if we don't feel like our story on God's timeline is as significant as these two guys? Well, tune into part two, and we're going to talk about some people in the Bible who took up a lot less verses in God's Word.